Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. If you're excited about the amazing grace of God, let me hear you say amen. amen. Man, I hope you're excited today. I'm just going to tell you, uh, I, I hope that you're pumped up about being here today. I've been on a little bit of vacation, seeing my son graduate, visiting my family. And so today I'm so excited. I feel like I have five shots of Red Bull. I mean, I'm ready to roll. And so I need you to have the same energy because, listen, everything we're saying about today is true. Amen. God is gracious, and he's forgiven us, and he loves us. There's not a reason for us not to celebrate that. There's not a reason for us not to get excited about that. So I hope you will as we get into the passage today. We've been in this series called Unsolved Mysteries, where we've been looking at the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And when you think about a mystery, here's what we talked about. A mystery is something that is unknown or it's hidden, and hopefully eventually it is revealed. That's a mystery. We also say when you think of a mystery, it's, it's like this. It's, there's always more than meets the eye. And Jesus was the best at revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In fact, one of the ways he did that, we've talked about a lot, is through parables. He would say stuff like this, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell an earthly story, and because all those who followed him weren't that sharp, he would turn around and then he would explain it. Then he would give the heavenly meaning. So he would take a concept that was mysterious, and he would reveal it and bring a great deal of clarity. And so he did that with parables, but he also did it, as we see through scripture, we also see the mysteries of the kingdom revealed through narrative, like just through stories that happened, like last week, when we talked, when Elijah talked about John the Baptist. Now, by the way, let's just pause for a minute. Didn't he do a great job last week? Come on, let's give him a hand, did a great job. Now think about it. He preached last week. He led worship for Patrick this week. There's no telling what he's going to be doing next week. You don't want to miss where Elijah's going to be next week. He's like, where's Waldo? You never know. Where he's going to be, but he did an awesome job. But when he taught in the message, I want you to think about it. He shared this beautiful picture of this mystery that was unveiled about suffering. And what you found out was this is that if you are a follower of Jesus and you have the hope of what awaits us as a follower, our suffering on this earth, as painful as it is sometimes, like John's, I'm sure the beheading didn't go well for him. I'm sure it was painful. But at the end of the day, our suffering is temporary. Everybody say temporary. Temporary. It is. Now, if you're like Herodias and Herod, who never make peace with God, your suffering is not temporary. Your suffering is eternal. And so as you walk through the narrative last week, it was more than just a guy that loved Jesus got beheaded. It was a story about suffering. It was a mystery of suffering that if you love the Lord, it's going to be temporary. And if you don't know the Lord, the suffering that awaits you is far greater than the suffering you will ever experience in this world. And Elijah did a great job unpacking that. Thank you. Yes, he did. And so next, next, today what we want to talk about is the mystery of God's provision. I want us to look at the mystery of God's provision. In fact, I would say this, and that if you and I had a one-on-one conversation, most of us, and I would just say this to you, how has God provided for you? Think of the last 10 years of your life. I might hear some stories like this. I might hear, well, you know, you hear this from time to time. I hear, you know what? Um, well, he's got put breath in my lungs and a roof over my head. I just want to say to you, if you've been a believer for a while, is that the best you got? And you think about the provision of God? Or I might ask you, what are, some, what are some ways, when you think about the provision of God, what are some things that blow your mind about the provision of God? And maybe your response is something like this. Well, you know, I know that God is faithful, takes care of his children, and that's the right answer. But if you've been a Christian for a while, is that the best we got? Or if I said, hey, what are some things you could be excited about? I mean, how has God provided for you that brings a great deal of celebration and excitement to your heart? And you might say something like this, well, I know that God is good. Well, that's great. But isn't that the best we got? I'm just saying when we think about the provision of God, we need to have some depth 
to our understanding. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. As we look at the mystery of God's provision. And one more time, I know you're going to love me for this. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. All right, let's just stand together. Starting in verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus heard this, pause for a minute. What did he just hear? What happened the week last week? What did I just talk about? The beheading of John Baptist, right? So he just heard that his forerunner, that the one who came to repair the path for him, his half-cousin has just been beheaded. So when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, and the disciples came to him and said, This is a crowd, uh, uh, sorry, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked to heaven, saying a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, and he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them the crowds, and they all, who's all? L, they all ate and were what? Satisfied. I'm a big boy. That would take a lot, wouldn't it? And they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces, leftovers, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, when you look at this, I'm going to say this to you because you already know it. This might be one of the top five Bible stories that most people know. So when you ask someone who's not overly familiar with church, but maybe is somewhat familiar with church, they might know the story of like David and Goliath. They probably know the story of Jonah and the, the great fish. They may even know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They may, they'll know the, the virgin birth story and the resurrection and all that. But this is a story. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of those stories that kind of transcends the church, and everybody kind of is aware of that. And so today as we look at the story, I want you to stray from anything that would kind of default you back to you already know the story. Straight from anything that would send you down a path of going, there's nothing new here. I've heard this story thousands of times in my life. There's nothing new here. I would challenge and say, there's a lot of new things here. See, we're going to look at the story, and I want to unpack it in two ways. First of all, I want to look at the three primary characters in the story. And secondly, and most importantly, I want to look at three lessons we learn about Jesus' provision for these people and for us. See, this passage is not just about feeding those who are hungry. It paints a picture of the provision that God has for us. So if you have your Bibles, I want to go one more time. I want to look at verse 13 and 14 because the first group we see is the crowd. Verse 13 says this. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from where he was on a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to the shore, he saw a great crowd and in compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, the first group we see is a crowd. Now, what did the crowd do when they heard that Jesus had withdrawn and went to somewhere else. What did the crowd do? Yeah, the crowd didn't go, well, that was great while it lasted. They went and followed him. That's interesting here. Only four times in the New Testament did Jesus withdraw from the crowds. Four times strategically, Jesus withdrew. Sometimes that was to, to train and equip his disciples. Sometimes he just got terrible news that his forerunner has been beheaded and he wanted to withdraw. We don't know why he wanted to withdraw, but he did. And he went to a desolate place. And so he withdrew, but the crowd didn't stop there. 
the crowd was consumed with Jesus. I mean, here's a guy who heard this news, wanted to withdraw, and what we find out is the crowds followed him wherever he went. Even though he got in a boat and went to the other side, went to a desolate place, the crowd marched all the way around to be where Jesus was. Listen to me. The crowd was desperately pursuing Jesus. The crowd could not get enough of being around Jesus. Are you getting that picture? In fact, when you read the Gospels over and over and over again, you know what accompanies Jesus almost everywhere he goes? A crowd. You know why? Because they couldn't get enough of him. They loved his teaching. They loved his miracles. They loved being in the presence of Jesus. So no matter where he went, a crowd always followed. And it dawned on me, and I thought about this. Can that be said of me? Can that be said of you? Can that be said of us? That we are desperately pursuing Jesus? That when I pray because the way I pray and because who I pray to, I want to pray more. That when I read this Bible because what it teaches me, I want to read more. Because I'm trying to follow Jesus. As I follow him, do I want to follow him more? I mean, do we have a sense about us that we are desperately pursuing Jesus? See, I think so many Christians, we just kind of fall into cruise control mode. We just begin to get to the point where we, are, we settle for mundane. We settle for average. Listen to me. Please hear me. If you ask, let me ask this question. Why do you think the world's not changing? Why do you think maybe we're not seeing as many people come to faith as we like to see? Is it possible that it's because we have started settling in our faith? We've started settling in our passion instead of desperately pursuing Jesus, I don't know about you, but I want something birthed in me that says I can't get enough of him. I can't get enough of his teaching. I can't get enough of his presence. The more I'm with him, the more I want to be with him. The more I hear him, the more I want to hear him. The more I know about him, the more I want to know. Here's something I know out of being a Christian for 30 some odd years is this. The more I learn about this book, the more I want to know. Do you have that? Do we have that? The crowd did. And then the second characters you see in the story are the disciples. I love these guys. The disciples, look at me in verse 15. It says this. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. Now, the disciples understand some things. I mean, I would have been a great disciple. Not because I would be greatly faithful, because I'd be a great idiot at times. I mean, I, I mean, when I read what they do, there's sometimes, you know, 2,000 years this side of the cross, I look at it and I scratch my head going, what in the world are they thinking? But I'd have been a great disciple because I would have been as naive and as ignorant as they were at times. Think about the disciples. Here's what they understood. They understood and recognized the surroundings they were in. It says it twice in the passage, they were in a desolate place. You know what desolate means? Desolate. There's nothing there. It wasn't like they were in an orange orchard and, hey, everybody grab an orange and we'll be okay today. No, no, it was desolate. There was absolutely nothing there. They understood their surroundings. They also understood the circumstances. They, they not only knew their surroundings there, but they also realized the situation. Here it is. 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And guess what? They're all hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but when my kids were little, they would get hungry, and they would throw a fit before we would feed them. Anybody have kids like that? Hey, some of you are lying. Some of you are like, I don't want you to know that about me. But it's true, right? We were eating lunch yesterday and, and with, with uh, Tom, Tommy and uh, 
and, uh, and Mary and that little baby Eleanor. And you could tell she was getting hungry because about 30 minutes prior to game time, she was like throwing a fit there. She was fussy. Can you imagine 5,000 men and women and children that are, the evening has come and they're hungry? So they look at the situation and they realize, hey, listen, here's the deal. The situation is there's 5,000 people, men only, not counting women and children. We've got to do something. Night has come. Let's just send them home, Jesus. Let's send them to go get their own McDonald's down the road and take care of their own needs, right? So they saw the surroundings. They understood the situation, but they also understood this reality. And we know some of their gospel. Here's a little boy who brought his lunch. He got five loaves, two fish, and here's the reality the disciples were thinking. There is no possible way we can feed this many people with five loaves and just two fish. There's no way, Jesus. I mean, we've looked at the surroundings. It's desolate. There's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The situation is there's just not enough food to go around. Now, when I look at the disciples, here's the way I view the disciples most of the time. They are the half glass empty kind of people. Now, you know the difference, don't you? The glass half full are positive. See the potential. The glass half empty are the negatives, and all they see is the impossibilities. Now, just bear with me for a moment. In this story, do they see the potential or do they see the impossibility? Not a trick question. Which one do they see? The impossibility. They saw a massive crowd, five loaves, two fish, looked up and go, that's not going to work. Let's send them all home. They saw the impossibilities of the situation and they never saw the potential. Now, listen to me. Here's why I scratch my head at them. I'm just thinking, this, this is Doug's thinking. I'm just thinking, you've been walking with him for months now. You've seen him touch a leper and was healed. You heard him speak the words to the Roman guy whose servant was miles away sick and she was healed. You've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. At what point do you not go to Jesus and go, hey, here's the impossible situation, but with what you've done, you may have something up your sleeve. Let's just bank on what you can do. At any point, do they do that? No, it's all about the impossibilities. Now, here's the question I think you need to think about. Do you resonate with the disciples? When life comes at you, do you see the impossibilities of life? Or do you see the potential of what God could do in and through you? I'm just going to be really honest. You can ask my family this. You know which one they would say that I am? The impossibilities. I'm the guy that when the kids were little could walk around the room and go, this is what could happen if we don't put something on that when they're little because they could cut their finger off right there. Well, that's never going to happen, but it could happen, so let's do something about it. I was that guy. I'm still that guy to some level. I fight it all the time. Why? Because as a believer, I don't need to wrestle with the impossibilities. I need to wrestle with that God has the potential, that God can do something that will blow my mind. So can you res resonate with the disciples? And then the third character I want us to look at is Jesus, the most important character in the story. Let's go back and read in verse 14, because I want you to catch a glimpse of what happens here. You've got this crowd who's hungering for Jesus. Then you've got these disciples who kind of see the impossibility, not the potential. And then we've got Jesus, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go home to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. 
And taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to the heavens and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave the disciples and the disciples gave it to the crowds and they all ate until they were satisfied. Now, I want you to notice something about Jesus here. It says that when Jesus showed up and saw the crowds, he had what? Anybody remember the word? Compassion. We defined compassion about six weeks ago. Let me redefine again today. Compassion is when empathy and sympathy lead to activity. That's compassion. When my sympathy for someone's situation and my empathy to try to walk in it with them leads me to activity, that's compassion. And it's exactly what Jesus had for these people. He had compassion for them. And his compassion drove him to heal people. But it also drove him to meet their needs. And I would have loved to. If there's one miracle I would have loved to say, I'd love to show up for and see, it would be this one. Because here's what Jesus said. You see the five loaves and two fish? Yeah, yeah. Just bring it to me. Okay, Jesus, you, you, maybe you missed this. There's 5,000 men out there. And some of them are big men. And there's women. And there's children. Jesus, we'll bring it to you, but I mean, come on. Jesus, there's no way. And we're running out of time, Jesus. The night is growing closer, and people got to go. It's not like they could Uber their way home. I mean, they had to walk miles upon miles. Something has to be done, Jesus. And you want to play with bread and a fish? Come on. Come on, Jesus. No, Jesus. Just bring it to me. Bring it to me. And it says that Jesus took the bread, and he looked to the heaven, and he said a blessing. Now, a typical Jewish man's blessing over the food would have been this. This is exactly what Jesus probably would have said, according to most scholars. Blessed are you, the Lord our God, the king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he did something crazy. He broke the bread, and he broke the bread, and he broke the bread, and he broke it some more, and he started passing it out. I mean, at what point in this miracle are you thinking, where's all that bread coming from? Where's all that fish coming from? And he continues to break it and hand it out, continues to hand, break it and hand it out. And the fish, he does the same thing. And at the end of the story, what we find out, everybody ate until they were satisfied, until they were full. And guess what? Here's the best part. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. What a story, right? I mean, when you look at the story, I don't want you to miss this. When you look at the story, what we learn is that Jesus not only met their physical need, he demonstrated who he is. You know who he is? He is God, our provider. He is our Jehovah Jireh. Jesus is not just the one who shows up on the scene and throws out a miracle. He wants to show us that he is the one who provides our greatest needs. That's who he is. And so every time we read a miracle in Scripture, or every time we look at this miracle, we need to be reminded that these miracles remind us that Jesus is our provider. That the person who was filled with leprosy, when he touched them, he provided life to them. When Lazarus was in the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus, a dead man, comes back to life, he gave them life. Listen, every miracle in Scripture is about God and Jesus being our providers. Now, here's the three things I want to talk about next. It's so important. When you look at this story, we have a tendency to stop there and go, oh, that's awesome. This great need, and Jesus met the need. But listen, it was more than just meeting their need. It was showing them who he is. He's our provider. And I think there's three lessons I want us to know today about Jesus as our provider. And here's the first one. His provision, it breaks all the rules. His provision breaks all the rules. If you and I were sent back 2,000 years ago into this story, would you have had the same mindset the disciples had? There's a lot of people. Look at five loaves. Jesus, we don't have one of those really cool knives on the infomercials where you can really chop it up close. And, you know, I mean, we don't have that. 
Would you have been just like the disciples and seen the impossibility in the situation? But here's the good news. Jesus tells us later in Matthew's gospel, with man, all things are impossible, but with God, all things are what? Possible. See, Jesus took the impossibility and he made it possible. Please don't miss that. And I think that's something that we need to remember as followers of Christ, because many of us in our lives, we face what we think is impossible situations. Maybe there's a relationship that is so broken and so fractured that we look at it and go, there is no way. Oh, yes, there is. There's no way that can be restored. Well, the good news is if you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're a child of the king who makes the impossible possible. There is a way. Or maybe you look at a situation and you've been hurt so, so bad. And you look and say, there's no way I could forgive them. There's no way I can cancel their debt. Well, the good news is if you're a follower of Christ, you have a king who says, yes, he can take the impossible and make it possible. Or maybe you look at your finances and all you see is financial ruin. And you say, there is impossible for me to get ahead of this. I mean, I'm going down a path and I'm never coming back. Listen to me. We serve a king who takes the impossible and he makes it what? Possible. We need to remember that. That his provision breaks all the rules. So listen, if that is true, let me just ask you this question. If that is true, should that change how we pray? If that's true, should that change how we pray? I don't know about you, but here's how Doug prays sometimes. I'm a whiny person sometimes. Oh, Lord. Anybody else like that? Bunch of liars in the room. Come on. I have my whiny moments. I have my demanding moments. And I have those moments that I'm just like, you know, I just don't see what's happening here. I see the impossibility of things. But if this is true, that his provision breaks all the rules, it should change how I pray. Instead of praying, whining, complaining, I should say, Lord, instead of this is an impossible situation, I don't know how I'm going to make it through it. What I need to pray is, Lord, in my eyes and by my standards and with my reasoning, I see this is impossible, but I know you're a God that takes the impossible and you make it possible. And I'm along for the ride, God, and whatever you do and whatever you see fit, I'm okay with, I trust you. That's a different prayer, isn't it? And see, knowing that his provision breaks all the rules should change how we pray. Another lesson I think we learned is this, is that his provision, it is sufficient to meet all our needs. It is sufficient to meet our needs. He knew their need, and he met it. Listen, I want to add a word. He met it completely. Here's what I mean. They ate until they were what? Full. Now, it was getting close to night. So his provision, now he, now he met their need completely, it was timely as well. His timing was perfect. And what I love about the story is this. You know, when we travel on the road, which we, you know, we think we're so thankful to live in Orlando because we can just jump on a plane and go somewhere. That's, that's like awesome. So before we'd make road trips and with our boys, you know, I, I being the planner, always wanted to stop and eat at certain times and certain places. So when the boys would get hungry, here's what we would do. We would stop at a gas station and get a snack to hold them over. You know what I'm talking about, right? And we hope it holds them over to the meal comes. Well, listen, in this moment, it would have made sense for Jesus to go, I'm just going to give them enough food to get them through this moment. I'm going to give them enough food just to keep them from being hungry. But Jesus doesn't do that. He meets their need completely. He doesn't give them a snack. And he said, I hope that works out for you. He fed them until they were full, until they were satisfied. And I think we need to remember that too. That in our provision, listen to me, in our provision, God's provision for us, he gives us exactly everything we need. 
He gives us exactly everything we need. Everybody say everything. Everything we need. Everything. In fact, I'll go as far as to say this, that when he gives us everything we need, it completes our need to the point where we don't have want. One of my favorite passages of David is in David, Psalms 23. David wrote at the end of his life, looking back over his life, and here's the first line of Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in what? Want. And then he spends the rest of Psalms 23 telling us how God has provided for him. He's been my rod, my staff. He's laid me down in green pastures. I mean, he tells us how God has provided for him. Listen, God gives us everything that we need. His provision is sufficient to meet all our needs. And let me tell you this, his provision is always perfect in timing. Now, I don't know about you, but I get impatient with God. Anybody else get impatient with God? Let me tell you a couple things that God usually does. Number one, he either says yes, he says no, or he says wait. I hate wait. I hate waiting. In fact, the more I've lived in Orlando, when I went home and we were driving to Papa Bluff, I just wanted to ram everybody because they're all driving like turtles. I mean, patience was not something. I was like, man, do they not know how to drive? Why? Because I don't like to wait. And God is the same way. When God, we know our needs in our life. Listen, there may be some things that God says, I'm not going to do that for you. I don't want, I'm going to meet your need in a different way. Or, hey, I'm going to meet your need exactly what you're thinking. Or, hey, I'm going to meet your need, but I just need you to wait. Why? Because my timing is perfect. It's better than your timing. You think you got it figured out, but you're wrong because I'm kind of the creator of the universe and you're not? My timing is perfect. See, his provision is sufficient to meet all our needs. And third thing I want you to notice is this, is that his provision even exceeds our needs. I love that about God. That his provision in my life exceeds even my needs. We see that in the story, right? They ate till they were full and how many basket loaves were left over? There were 12 basketfuls Left over. Let's think about it. The five loaves and the two fish would barely have filled up half of one basket together, and now there's 12 basketfuls left over. He not only met their need, he exceeded their greatest expectation. Do you know that God does that? Do you believe that? Amen? He exceeds your greatest expectation, and we see it all through Scripture. I mean, you can look at Scripture and see that God, he says that he will supply all our needs, and he gives it to us according to his riches, not out of his riches, but according to his riches, which means he exceedingly supplies all of our needs. Scripture also says this, that he doesn't just give us his love, that he lavishes his love on us. He exceedingly gives us his love. Scripture says this, that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God, and he gives it generously. He doesn't give us enough just to get to the day. He gives in abundance and exceedingly. And then Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, it says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and amen. He's, here's what Paul's saying, that God not only just meets our need, he blows our mind. And because of that, he deserves our worship and our adoration. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? See, when we look at this story, there's some lessons that we learn. And one of the things that we need to remember about him exceeding our needs is that God's provision is not stingy, it's generous. See, when I look at the feeding of the 5,000, I see these three characters. I see the crowd. I see this crowd that's hungry. And then I see the disciples who kind of see the glass half empty. But then I see Jesus who shows them compassion. His empathy and his sympathy led to great activity. And when Jesus provided for them, listen, it broke all the rules. 
When he provided for them, it was sufficient for their need. When he provided for them, it exceeded every need anyone had. See, when I read this passage, here's the conclusion I come to. That Jesus' provision is enough. That Jesus' provision for my life, it is enough. I don't need anything else. Because what he provides is perfect. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, here's what I want to do as we get ready to close. I want us to take a moment, and I was thinking about this a couple days ago. I want to take a moment, and I want to celebrate his provision in our life. See, if I ask you, what, what are some things about God's provision you want to celebrate? Maybe many of us would struggle with that. So there's some things I want, it's in your listening, God, some things I want us to celebrate about God's provision. Here's the first thing. I want us to celebrate that he always provides a way back. Isn't that good news? Because some of us are rebellious. All of us are rebellious. We all like to do life on our own. We all kind of walk away from God. But over and over and over again in Scripture, we see that God always provides a way back. That's his provision. If you look at the Daniel, I mean David. Remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba? And he was going on about his own business? What did God provide for David in his life? He provided a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan went in there and pointed, I believe, pointed his finger at David and he called him out. And then we have Psalms 51 where David cried out to God in a confession. What about Jonah? You remember Jonah, right? God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. So Jonah says, great, I'm going to get on a boat, and I'm going to go to Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction as Nineveh. And you know what God provided? You can read it for yourself in Jonah chapter 2. It says, and God provided a great fish. See, God provided a fish not to pay Jonah back, but guess what? To bring him back. Isn't that good news? Peter denied Jesus three times, but in John 21, Jesus reinstates him because he wanted Peter to know, I'm not here to condemn you or to pay you back or to seek revenge. Peter, I'm just here to bring you back, bro. See, one of the provisions I want all of us to celebrate today is that God always provides a way back. So if you've rebelled, if you've gone astray, or if you're in left field in your faith, there is a way back. There's a way back. I also want us to celebrate. He knows he provides a way back, but he always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians tells us this, that no temptation has seized us other than what's common to man. And God is faithful. And he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. And with temptation, he provides a way of escape. So there's some of you in the room today, man, life is knocking you down. And you feel like temptation's overwhelming you. Listen to me. There's always a way out. You don't have to surrender to temptation. You don't have to give in. There is always a way out. He provides a way back. He provides a way out. I want to celebrate that he always provides a way that is right. See, we live in a world, listen, our world is so jacked up. We live in a world where absolute truth is non-existent. Can I tell you what absolute truth is? It's 66 books. It's the word of God. It's the breath of God. And all of us have one. That's absolute truth. And see, all of us face decisions every day. And some of those decisions, let's be honest, some of those decisions, it's difficult deciding what is the right thing to do. Guess where I can go to find the answer? Right here. So when life is knocking me down and I'm not sure what to do, God provides a way that's always right through his word. Let me give you another one. God always provides a way through it. Here's one thing I know, especially in the last couple of weeks, talking with people from East Campus. There's some people going through some real storms, storms of life physically, relationally. Can I tell you the only way through those storms is to lean and to press in to the presence of God in your life. See, here's the way through it. The writer of Hebrews says it best. God will not leave us, nor what? Forsake us. 
His presence is what gets us through it. And I want to celebrate that. But most importantly, here's what I want us to celebrate today. I want us to celebrate that God has provided, that Jesus provided a way, the way to himself. That Jesus provided a way to himself. Romans chapter 3 says this, that God is just. That there came a moment in history where God said, sin has got to be paid for. But no, is God just? It also says that he is the justifier. While sin must be paid for and the debt must be taken care of, he also is the one who paid the debt. He didn't impose it on us. So he is just and he is justifier. He not only says debt has to be paid for sin, but I'm going to send my son to pay that debt for you. And all we have to do is have a personal relationship with him and then we have a moment, an ability to come to him. Isn't that good news? See, I want us to celebrate today. Can you, can you, can you, I mean, if, 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 uh, if you had your favorite sports team on, you'd be hooping and hollering. But I'm just telling you, I want us to celebrate the provision of God in our life. Listen, if you feel like you're down now and you've walked away, there's a way back for you. You need to know that. If you feel like you've kind of gone astray and you're doing some things and you feel like, hey, you know what? This temptation's overwhelming. There's a way out for you. If you feel like, hey, you know what? I don't know what decision to make. There's a way that is right for you. If you're loaded down with the storms of life, there's a way through it, through him. And if you don't know Christ, there's a way to come to him. And I want us to celebrate that today. I want you, as you leave in a moment, after we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to take a moment in your life and go, God has provided for me. And his provision, when I've abandoned him, I have a way back. When temptation is knocking me down, I have a way out. When I don't know what to do, I have a way that is right. When storms knock me down, I have a way through it. And if I don't know him, I have a way to him. That's his provision. And guess what? It breaks all the rules. And it is sufficient to meet every need you have. And it will exceed every need you had as well. So today I want to celebrate. And the reason we can celebrate all these things is because his provision is timely, sufficient, and it's exceedingly good. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to take a moment, and we're going to celebrate the most important provision that God has ever made for us, and that's by sending his son to die on a cross. To die on a cross because he loves us. To die on a cross because his provision was this. If you put your faith in him, you can have eternal life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do with me just for a moment. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper in a moment, I just need you to know that the, the bread is a picture of the body that was beaten and bruised of Jesus. And the blood is a picture of the, uh, the, the, the juice is a picture of the blood that was shed for us. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. He shed his blood for us. And if you're a believer, I don't care if you're a member of this church or not. If you're a born-again believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to take the supper with us today. As it passes by, if you don't know Christ, just let it pass. Because there's a moment that's important for you a little bit later. So what I'm going to do, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. When I'm done... I'm going to ask you to do about two or three things. Here's the first one. I'm going to ask you to do what the Bible says, to examine your heart. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians that we are to remember and to examine our own hearts. And I want you in a moment of silence to do that. I also want you in a moment to look at the screen because we have a video that reminds us of the price that Jesus paid for us. And as you're examining your heart, as you're watching the video, our deacon men are going to be coming and they're going to be passing the elements. I want you to hold on to those elements because when we're done with the video, I'm going to lead us to take the supper. Let's pray together. Stay seated and let's pray together. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. And Lord, I just pray. I, I pray as sure as I'm standing here that there is something in us that ponders and thinks about how you provided for us. God, may we not treat your provision as casual. It's an amazing thing. 
It's amazing that when I have rebelled, you still give me a way out and a way back. When, I, when I'm loaded with temptation, there's a way out. The Lord, when I, storms have come my way, there's a way through it. And if I don't know you, there's a way to know. Lord, I thank you for your provision for us. We take it for granted. But today, may we celebrate it. And may we celebrate the greatest provision you made when you sent your only son to die on a cross for us. May we truly examine our hearts in this, in this moment. May we examine our hearts. May you speak to us. As we watch that video, may it remind us the price you paid. And in a moment, as we collectively together take the supper, may it motivate us and inspire us to live a life celebrating what you've done for us. Lord, we love you. We ask you to be with us in this moment. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a moment and examine.